Welcome to Kuhau Podcast. We thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are a part of a new loving family. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message encourages you and transforms your life. Now stay tuned for today's message. Psalms chapter 16, verses 5 through 8. We're going to be read, begin reading the ESV translation. It says, The Lord... <clears throat> is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places indeed. You have a be- I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Can we read that in a different translation? The Good News translation says it like this. You, Lord, are all I have, and you give me all I need. My future is in your hands. How wonderful are your gifts to me. How good they are. I praise the Lord because he guides me, and in the night my conscience warns me. I am always aware of the Lord's presence. He is near, and nothing can shake me. I want to tell you guys, talk to you guys about a message entitled, All I Have. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, as always, I ask that today may not be about me and and the way I speak, but you may completely remove me from the situation. And right now, in this room, it may be you and your people. That they may hear what I believe is a word from you, Lord, and they, they may trust in you being all they have and that we may have a church of people who are unshakable. In your name I pray, amen and amen. That's just a prayer, guys. I'm just... So I, I want to share a story uh, with you guys today. But before I do that, I have to give you some background info. So here's, really quickly, here's the background info. My cousin growing up, he used to sleep over our house often. Um, and the thing about my house, this is, the, this is the next thing you need to know, is that it's really creepy and it's really old. Like we have this basement that the dirt in the basement isn't even the same color as like real dirt. Like it's like this orangey, weird dirt. Anytime I step into this basement, I promise you, if you've seen Saw, one of those locations were probably shot in my basement. Like that's what this place looks like. Uh, and then the other thing is it's, it's weird. Like there's just stuff in my house that don't make sense. Like there's a room that to get to, you have to go through another bedroom. And then in that room, there's only one outlet. And I guess because it's old, they didn't, I don't, I don't know, they didn't use electricity or whatever. But then to, to further this, that only, the only cable wire in this room is all the way on the other side of the only outlet. You need like five extension cords just to watch ESPN. Like it's weird. And then the weirdest thing is we have a vent in my house on the second floor in my mother's room and you know how most vents are on walls? This, this vent is not. It, it's on the floor for some reason. I don't, I don't know why. And then the thing is, like, you know how most vents are connected to, like, ventilation systems so they can vent? Uh, this vent is connected to the ceiling of my other floor, so it's just a hole in the floor. I think that's what it was. It was a hole in the floor, and they were like, what do we do? They were like, let's just put a vent on it. They'll think it's supposed to be like that. So there's this vent, like it was, I used to actually as a kid, it was cool because I would like try to squeeze through it and I would have like a shortcut going downstairs. And then the last thing that you need to know is my cousin was a menace growing up. Like this kid, his aunt, my aunts, his mom, 
her phone number was on speed dial at the school. Like, this is a kid who took water balloons and threw them at people, but whereas that's just like cool childish antics, he took it to a whole nother level. He didn't put water in the water balloons, he put syrup and, and whatever concoction he could make up and put it in the water balloons and throw them at people from his fire escape. This is my cousin, and he used to also love to mess with me. You guys got all that? Now we can tell my story, you ready? I was also my, my uh, brother Rodolfo's servant, so anything he wanted, I would get. And so one time, I'm going downstairs to serve him something to drink, and for whatever reason, I guess in a house that doesn't make sense, you do things that don't make sense, so the fridge used to be in the dining room. And so one time, I'm going to the fridge, I get the drink, I have to go to the kitchen because we keep the fridge in the dining room, but for some reason, we still keep the cups in the kitchen. So I go, I get the cups, and then I come back to the fridge, and then I hear the noise. You want to know what the noise was? Psst. And I'm like six, seven, maybe eight. I don't have a good recollection of my childhood. You'll find out why. It was traumatic. So I freak out. I'm like, you know, like the fridge is next to the entrance to this basement from Saw. So I'm like, oh, I know what that sound is. It's demons. So I run. I run. I'm screaming. <laughs> but nobody in my family believes me. They completely dismiss me, and eventually I get over it, and I try to face my fear once again. At one point, I go downstairs, I go to the fridge, like, you're not going to punk me. And I freak out, run upstairs, and this continues for like, I don't remember. I think I just blocked out the memory at that point. I just know that I, I reached this traumatic thing. But it got, I know it got bad because it got to the point that I started doing something that was unfamiliar with my brother Rodolfo, which was telling him no. See, he had a pretty good system. You know, we have Amazon Alexa now, and we have Google Home, but before all that, Foe had little brother Ruben. So he would be like, hey, Ruben, and I'd be like, doo-doo, yes. He'd be like, I want something to drink, and I would go and get him something to drink. But that wasn't happening anymore. I was saying, no, you don't understand. There's a demon. He wants me. He wants to eat me. I know I'm the one in this family with a future. Like, I'm going to go to college, so I'm trying to protect my life. So he had to do something. So my brother Fo goes, listen, Ruben, listen, listen. You just got to say, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And I'm eight, six, maybe seven. I'm like, no, you come with me. So say it with me then. Come with me. So he agrees to come with me. So we go downstairs together. And you, you got to practice this stuff, right? So I'm like, I rebuke you. You're rebuked. I'm like the Oprah Winfrey with, with rebukes. You get a rebuke. You get a rebuke. So we get to the fridge. I'm at the fridge. He's at the fridge. We're at the fridge. And sure enough, pssst. And that's not what comes out. What comes out is, ah! And my brother foe is like, it's okay. Just say it. Just say it. And so I'm like, okay. I'm going to say, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. But when you're seven or six or eight and you're terrified, that's not what comes out. What comes out is, I freaking, I freaking rebuke you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> so like you guys, laughing at my misery, my brother starts laughing. But more than that, he's laughing because he can see through our weird floor vent my cousin's face cracking up. Yeah, it was him the whole time. You guys are laughing. I'm still traumatized by this, okay? People, people use to get your attention. I accidentally rebuked them, okay? I'm traumatized. <laughs> you jerk. You jerk. <laughs> I 
caught it too. You saw that? I trembled a little. I have goosebumps. But, but more than this funny story, I, I share it because I look at it and I think it's so cool how this story lines up with today's message. You see, I was this kid. I knew nothing. I was paralyzed by fear. But I knew one thing. I knew that I could call upon the name of Jesus. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know who he, who he was. I don't think I knew what rebuke meant at the time. But I knew that I had the name of Jesus and I could declare it into my situation. And I'm 23 years old now, but not much has really changed. See, I'm not scared of, of, of the psst and the things that call out my attention, but there are situations around me which my mind has tricked me into. You see, there was this sound that I was connecting, oh, must be a demon, but was really my cousin. But so often in life, I think our situations get to us and our mind tells us must be something, must be failure, must lead to doom. But we still have the name of Jesus. And I can declare declare that still. So as much as I've changed, not much has, because I still encounter this fear, this paralyzing fear. I think we've all been there when it feels like I've done all I can, but somehow the walls are still closing in. And, and I know, I do know some things now. See, because back then I didn't have an encounter with Jesus. Back then I didn't really know this Jesus. But now I can stand here today knowing what the implications of declaring his name is. I I know what it means to know Jesus. And I want to share that with you guys today because I believe that no matter what situations you face, in my own times of anxiety, I have relied on these three things. I start with these three things. And as I, I focus on each of them, I'm able to come out a better person. I'm able to come out of my situation. Can I share them with you today? I heard that uh, when you reveal the ending to a movie, it actually helps you enjoy it better. So I want to try that today. I want to give you the three points ahead of time, and then we're going to go through them. I want to experiment. So you guys let me know if it helped you appreciate the message more. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is I have encountered Jesus. I, I, have, I know this Jesus personally. I'm not relying on someone else's testimony. Number two is that I know he is essential to my life. I know that there's nowhere else that I can go because where I am now is the best place for me. And ultimately, I know that all of this, in, in, in me needing Jesus, number three, Jesus has also equipped me with his ability. That if there's any way out of this situation that seems hopeless, it's going to come through Jesus' equipment to begin with. When when, when I'm in this place, and anxiety is this weird thing that it feels like fear has has you in a chokehold. But when 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 I feel that, I start at this first place. I've encountered Jesus. I've encountered the Savior of this world. And the person who I think expresses that the best is this guy named Peter. He, he was a disciple of Jesus. So he literally walked with Jesus. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, it says this. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when, we rece- when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic Glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were there with him on the holy mountain. 
Peter doesn't rely on some, he's saying, hey, this isn't hearsay. I'm not telling you, oh, I heard about this guy named Jesus. I'm telling you, I was there on the mountain with him when God the Father declared, this is my son. And in that same way, we all have our own personal testimonies. I think we can all think back to the first time we met Jesus. I think we can all think back. See, what's beautiful about encountering Jesus is you re-encounter him and you re-encounter him. Peter, thank you, thank you. You guys can go ahead and join Lisa and give a shout of praise to what God has done in your life. Peter, what's interesting is Peter doesn't talk about the first, this isn't the first time he was ever present with Jesus. He doesn't go, oh, hey, I'm not following cleverly devised myths because there was this one time he came up to me on a boat and, and I, I got a whole bunch of fish. And he's talking about another time he's encountered Jesus because you encounter him over and over again. And we are always, when, when anxiety creeps in, I can go back as recent as this year. There was a time where I encountered Jesus again. And when it feels like Oh, maybe, maybe you're just relying on, on what your pastors have said, Reuben. Maybe they, this Jesus thing doesn't really work. Or, or maybe you're just relying on Lisa's worship. I can go, no, no, I have my own worship. It's weird and there's no rhythm to it, but I have my own worship. I have my own. He is a personal Savior. I have my own personal Savior. And what's beautiful about that is, thank you. What's beautiful about that is, is encountering Jesus isn't like, I know this dude from across the street. It, it, it's, I know this dude who changed me. When you encounter Jesus, he completely and utterly transforms your life. See, there was this dude named Paul. And Paul, he, uh, he was kind of more than okay with the persecution of people who follow Jesus. He, he saw this guy get killed and was happy about it. Paul wanted to persecute Christians so badly that he went to the synagogues to get support from the elders. Homeboy Paul was the first person to ever have a GoFundMe account, and it was to persecute Christians. This is Paul, and what I think is so great about Paul is he tells me that, you know, I've, I've never been okay with Christian's dying, so I'm not as bad as Paul. And then what's better about Paul is he encounters Jesus. And when he encounters Jesus, there's an amazing story behind it, and I recommend you read it in, in Acts. But this is the conclusion of his encounter. In Acts 9, it says, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is indeed the Son of God. When you have an encounter of Jesus, you can be as far as being okay with people who believe in him being murdered to becoming the very person who's willing to risk their life to preach the same message. This is the transforming power of Jesus. And so when fear comes in, and when doubts say, no, you're still, you're, you're going to make the same mistakes. You're doomed to make the same cycle. You know Reuben who in high school was dating a girl who was still dating someone else and that was an abusive relationship? That's your love life. That's what it's going to be forever. I can speak to my doubt and say, maybe, but that Reuben didn't encounter Jesus. This Reuben has. So I, I, I can declare over the anxiety that comes over my romance life. I have one, mom. I'm sorry. Yeah, you, 
But I can declare over the anxiety that comes over this, uh, these situations and say, no, 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 I'm not the same person that I used to be. I met him. I know that I met him. And because I met him, I ain't the old me. Second uh, Corinthians puts it the best way. It says, either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. When, when fear says you're, you're going to repeat the same mistakes, say that's impossible because the person who repeated those mistakes is dead. That can't happen. I'm dead to my old life. I'm living a new life that is the result of the transforming power of Jesus. So when my back is against the wall, I simply tell myself, well, Reuben, who do you know? I know Jesus. I know Jesus. What's the result? of Well, he's, he's all powerful. He's all transforming. I know that if I know him, that means that I'm not the old me. So this can't get me. And I... Here's the result of knowing Jesus long enough. You start to realize that this life, this life is like no other. So, so I want to recap the first point. The first point is this. I know that I have encountered Jesus. And in that encounter, you realize that Jesus is essential to your life. You, you need him. So, so the second Step when I'm dealing with anxiety and fear and I think the same mistakes are doomed to come back in or failure is at my footstep. I say, I know Jesus. And then I say, I know he's essential. You know what I love about Paul more than anything is he understood the need for Jesus. Paul, in prison, he says this to the Philippians. In Philippians 1, 20 through 21, he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for me, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. In the next verse, it says this, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress. Why, Paul? So that through my being with you, you are able to boast in Christ Jesus. Your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Here's a man who's looking at a life and death situation but doesn't see it as life and death. He says, well, either if I live, I get to give Jesus to people who need him. Or if I die, I get to get Jesus because I need him. He's looking at a life and death situation, but he understands the, needs, the need for Jesus so much. He says, I'm probably going to live because y'all need Jesus. <laughs> you guys know some people who need Jesus? Y'all need Jesus. He said, yeah, I need you. I'm probably going to live. But I would love to be with him because I need him. Here's someone who, who's in prison. I, I, I want us to be a church. I want us to be a people that no matter our situation, we don't see a situation. We see two options. We say the situation is, it's either going to lead me to getting more Jesus or it's going to lead me to giving someone else more Jesus. But the fact of the matter is that Jesus is essential and somehow Jesus will be glorified. By life or by death, this body shall exalt Jesus. 
When doubt tries to step in and fear says, oh, yeah, the walls are caving in. Oh, yeah, your bills, they're, they're going to keep coming. I, I could feel like I'm drowning forever. If it feels like if I, somehow, some way, I'm getting more of Jesus, then it does not matter. If somehow, some way, by my suffering, someone else gets more of Jesus, then so be it. Paul was in prison. Sometimes I feel like I'm in prison. But Paul was literally in prison. If Paul can somehow in prison find a way to glorify Jesus, then so can I. So can I. Oh, we are so can I, church. So can I. If Paul, if Paul can see the need for Jesus, that way I will. And, and here's the reality. It, it's a desperate need. The more I get Jesus, the more I realize I need him so desperately. Because the second thing to understand that he's essential is it's in those moments of doubt, sometimes you feel like quitting. Sometimes you feel like throwing in the towel. But this guy named Peter, we're going we're we're to look at him again. See, see, Jesus had just said something to a huge crowd, and, and, and it was a little, it was taboo. They, they didn't rock with it, and so they left. And Jesus looks at his disciples, and he says, are you going to leave too? But, but Peter steps in and he, he says, in John 6, 68 through 69, he goes, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. <laughs> Where am I going to go, God? You have eternal life. No one else. I've come to believe that you are the Holy God. Where can I go? I need you. I'm desperate for you. What's crazy about Peter saying this is in his first encounter with Jesus, his initial response is, Lord, depart from me because I'm a sinner. But he goes saying, he goes from saying, I'm not worthy to God, I'm not worthy, so I need you. I can't go anywhere else. I need you in my life. You have the words of eternal life. Peter understood this desperate need. And when I understand this need, I understand that there's no turning back for me. There's, there's times, Rose Ro said it, I used to be an atheist, and there's, there's times when that way of life gets tempting because it just feels easier. But at the end of the day, it's not fruitful. At the end of the day, it's not better. At the end of the day, I've tasted and I've seen, and so I must continue to keep on fighting this good fight. You guys can go ahead and give God a clap of praise because I know you're there with me. I know you've been at the end of the, your rope. I know you felt like, Lord, when is it going to stop? Lord, I need to, I want to try something else. But what we all ultimately need to come to the conclusion is that there is no something else. There is only one and his name is Jesus. Ultimately, life with Jesus is, is the fruitful life. Jesus, he alludes to this in an allegory regarding a vine. Ultimately, what he says is, if I dwell in you, you will live a fruitful life. And outside of Jesus, I think you can live a successful life. But I, I also think there's a difference between success and fruit. I think there's a difference between living a fruitful life and a successful life. See, I still got debt. I still got bills. I still live with my mama. But I think this life in Jesus has, that I'm living is a fruitful life because ultimately there's just no comparison. I would not give up what I have in the world, what I have to trade with Bill Gates. Maybe if Bill Gates became a Christian, then I'm like, oh, Bill Gates and a Christian, okay. But, but I have Jesus. That's all I need. I'm not consumed with getting more of anything other than 
Jesus. And so when my back's against the wall and it feels like I can't do it, I have no else to turn, I'm helpless, what, 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 what do I need? That's what I say. I say, who do I know? I know Jesus. And who do you need? I, I need Jesus. How can I get more of Jesus? Is it through this situation? Does this situation get me more of Jesus? Does this situation somehow get me more Jesus to give to people? I'm able to do that. And what I think Peter and Paul understood I think they also understood that needing Jesus is also connected to getting out of any situation you could get out of to begin with. Even if if this life wasn't the best, I have no hope of getting out of. Paul was in prison for a while. And in most of his letters, he doesn't go, I'm going to Michael Schofield my way out of this soon. You guys know Michael Schofield, prison break? No? Odin, where's the crickets? Um, At no point does he try to get out of prison on his own. In every letter, he's not like, I'm I'm, I'm thinking up a master plan. I got this. No, no, no. He's saying, and pray that the Lord will deliver us to freedom. Deliver me to freedom. At no point in time does he rely on his own ability because the need for Jesus is connected to the very fact that Jesus equips us. So if we're going to get out of this situation, we're fully dependent on Jesus to prepare us the way anyway. Hebrews 13, 20 through 21 says it this way. Now may the God of peace, who through him the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. How do we, how do we get this? Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Ephesians 2.10 says, God has made us what we are. And in our union with Christ Jesus, he has created us for a life of good deeds. I love this line. This line wrecks me. Which he has already prepared for us to do. Your successes in life are already prepared. Isn't that crazy? You're you're, going to live a life of good deeds in Christ Jesus. But guess what? They're already prepped. God sets us up. And all we got to do is spike it. Success is there. The need for Jesus is, what's crazy is the first two, knowing Jesus and, and needing Jesus, are connected to the last one, which, which is him equipping us. Because ultimately, if you know Jesus and you, you get more Jesus, well, you can do anything because Jesus equips us. Can I let you in on a little secret? Nobody who serves at Kuhau, none of our volunteers, uh, knew what they were doing until they started doing it. Jenny was not a principal of a school and then started volunteering as a kids director. She worked in a medical office and we needed someone to watch the kids while we were in a home. And through that, yes, we are, yes, we are disciplined. Yes, we try to learn as much as we are. But I believe that Jenny serves in, in an amazing, an amazing capacity for our, our kids ministry. Do we have any parents who see how amazing our kids ministry is? Jenny is able to do that, I believe, not just because Jenny is so talented, but because her Lord is so powerful, because the Lord has equipped us. Odin is not an expert in pipe and drape and roadie. He is an expert in giving himself to the Lord and allowing the Lord to equip him. There is nothing that we do in life that does not come from from the equipment of Jesus. And when I know that, I can be in the midst of my troubles. And know that I don't have to rely on my strength. I can rely on his. Paul, Paul got that. He said, in my weakness, your, your strength is made perfect. Your strength 
is made perfect. And so no matter my circumstance, what I'm able to realize is at the end of the day, fear and an anxiety are just, are just me being that little kid again, not knowing what I don't understand, really being paralyzed by my feelings. And I love this, this quote. Frank, you're going to love this quote too. My, my psychology professor one time said this. Feelings aren't facts. But we're... I told you. Feelings aren't facts. And what I love about the Psalms are they, is that they're so vulnerable. They're so authentic. Can I show you one that articulates feelings versus facts? Psalms 13. How much longer will you forget me, Lord? Have you ever felt forgotten? How much longer will you hide yourself from me? How long must I endure trouble? My, how long will sorrow fill my heart day and night? You ever been there? Just day and night. Can, I, I want to be a little bit honest today. I'm going to expose something about myself. Ever since I declared my faith in Jesus, it has been this journey with battle after battle of anxiety attacks. You see... Before I was a Christian, I, I wasn't connected to purpose, so I never really tried hard at anything. I coasted by in school, and when I became a Christian, I started to understand my purpose. And so anything I did, I did with the intention of success. So every time I failed, it was a bitter taste because I was tasting it for the first time. And I started to develop this anxiety for, oh, I'm going to put my best foot forward and I'm going to fail. I'm going to do, I'm going to try, and I'm going to fail. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try in another relationship and I'm going to fail. I'm going to try at school and I'm going to fail. I can't escape this. Anxiety, anxiety, feelings after feelings, paralyzed by fear. But here's the fact. Don't let them gloat over my downfall. Verse 5. I rely on your constant love. We can go back. I rely on your constant love. I will be glad because you will rescue me. I will sing to you, O Lord. Why? What's the fact? Because you have been good to me. It does not matter what my feelings say. It does not matter if I feel forgotten or abandoned. God has been good to me. So we know that we've encountered Jesus. We know that he's essential and we know that he equips us. Can we read our opening verse with that understanding? Let's go to Psalm 16. You, Lord, are all I have. That's essential. My future is in your hands. How wonderful are your gifts to me. How good they are. That's equipment. I am always aware of the Lord's presence. He is near. That's, that's encounter. He is near. What's awesome about this is when this psalm was written, it was written before Jesus came. So this psalm was written without the revelation of Jesus. How much more is this amplified by the revelation that Jesus is in our hearts, that we have access to heaven, that we are children of God. I'm a college kid, so I'm going to give you guys a math equation. All I have, essential, plus how wonderful are your gifts to me, equipment, 
plus I'm always aware of your, the Lord's presence plus encounter equals he is near and nothing can shake me. <clears throat> That's all the math I know. But <laughs> nothing. You want to be an unshakable church? Focus on your need for Jesus. Depend on your encounters. Allow him to equip you. And when the... And when doubt comes in and fear tries to step in saying, <laughs> you may worry me, but you will not shake me. I may have moments, but I am unshakable because I may feel forgotten, but I know he is good to me. I may feel depressed, but I know he will rescue me. There's only two outcomes to this situation. Either I'm going to get more Jesus or someone else will. Either I'm going to get more Jesus or I'm giving it to someone else. It's the only outcome. I don't end shaken. I don't end in failure. How can I end in failure where my God makes me more than a conqueror? How can I end in failure where my God is all powerful? How? It doesn't add up. How can I repeat the same mistakes if I'm, if I'm dead to my old life? Ain't going to happen. Sorry, not today. Not today. I trust in the Lord. He is all I have. That's so awesome because he is all I need. Can we stand on our feet today, church? We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Our mission here at Christ Uncensored House of Worship is to love God, love people, and love life. Kuhau is a place where our story is still being written. Together, we can do more than we can ever do alone. If this message has encouraged you and you wish to partner with us in taking this message all across the world, go to kuhau.com slash give or follow us on any social media platform. Thank you in advance for your support and generosity. Come and begin a whole new journey with us.